humility, solidarity, self-awareness. Those three words are anchors for the work of the Pulsera Project. But in this conversation with Chris Howell, I was struck at how those words were a reflection of all the things that language educators are all about. Humility, solidarity, self-awareness. In Chris Howell's case, as co-founder of the Pulsera Project, since 2009, over 3,200 schools across the United States have hosted sales of the Pulsera, colorful bracelets produced by artisans in Central America. This opportunity for you to hear of an extraordinary concept that has grown to engage students in understanding how people around the Spanish-speaking world, in this case, really live, and to be able to enter into a partnership with artisans and their communities to create a better life for themselves and for those artisans and their communities in partnership. Understanding that poverty can come both economically and also in how we view each other. This powerful conversation is about how we enter into community, how we take a look at ourselves and the world. I know you'll enjoy this conversation with Chris Howell of the Pulsera Project. It's insightful, kind, encouraging, and gives you an option for your students or for projects that may relate more specifically to your particular educational situation. But I know that you will enjoy the spirit, and I hope that it reflects for you the spirit within your classroom, your school, your community. Enjoy the podcast. Welcome to Vista Higher Learning's podcast series, the language imperative. Visa's commitment for over 20 years has been language education and language educators. We're proud to support and share the work of those organizations and institutions that serve and strengthen language education for all. As the preeminent language and literacy publisher in the United States, our singular focus is to empower you as a language educator with the tools and research-based knowledge you need to meet the needs of all learners. Whether you're guiding students in learning a new language, improving additional language, or perfecting their native language, our work is for you and our stand is with you. We look forward to sharing this podcast with you. Well, hello, Chris Howell. It's a pleasure to have you as our guest today. How are you? I am doing great, Nora. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm thrilled to be here on, on this podcast and uh, and to have a chance to talk to you a little bit about the work that I do and that the Pulsar Project does. That's great. And Chris Howell, let's start by defining the Pulsera Project, of which you are one of the co-founders. When did it start? What is it? 
And uh, why is it such a compelling story for us in the language education field? It's a great question. So we started in 2009. It was uh, myself, some a friend of mine, his parents basically decided to go to Nicaragua uh, in Central America and combine sort of fun adventure tourism with some service. And we, we came across uh, a lot of artists down there make these beautiful handwoven bracelets, pulseras in Spanish. Um, and Basically, we, we actually still to this day have no idea who had the first, the original idea that, oh, we should take a, a few of these home and see if we can sell them to our friends and family. And so the initial order, I think, was just 300 pulseras. And we sold all of them within two weeks. And our two of our co-founders get back on a plane. They go back to Nicaragua. They get 2,000 pulseras. And I was at, at college at the time at the College of Charleston. So I started selling on campus. Uh, my friend Colin, another co-founder, he started selling on his campus. And it just sort of snowballed as we went through college. We had a lot of friends um, that were at different schools. And a friend of the project of ours was an elementary school teacher. And she sort of created um, the first K-12 school sale. So... Um, again, sort of spur of the moment, took some photos that we had, made this display, this trifold display, and we just sort of realized that there was a connection um, with students in particular, because that's that that's about the age of the people that we were working with, um, mostly teenagers, young adults, and, and so there's that obvious personal connection. And then as I started working for the Pulsera Project full-time, I noticed that we were working with more and more Spanish clubs and Spanish classes, Spanish honor societies, and realized that there is a was a huge potential to expand our um, our reach and what these pulsera sales meant for people. So throughout all this time, um, we were slowly, incrementally growing. Teachers told other teachers by word of mouth, and. I had the idea that maybe we can tell, share some of these stories, share some of the um, the lives of these people in a Spanish language context that will give them a reason to to care about the Pulsera project, doing these Pulsera sales, but also to understand why language is language acquisition is so important. Um, I remember when I was in high school talking to or taking classes and we did various service projects where we would maybe raise money for an orphanage in Mexico. And it was really hard for me to connect to that. Um, in Spanish classes, we'd learn about Spain and the running of the bulls. And I thought that was interesting, but there was, you know, this huge continent to the South of the United States where everyone speaks Spanish. And I wanted to learn more about that culture as well. And so, um, it was just sort of a, a logical extension. And I started working, collaborating with teachers um, to create some content based on the lives of the artists that we work with. And it's all snowballed into now we have worked uh, with over 3,300 schools in every state um, all across the country uh, since 2009. And it's it's just been a really uh, incredible uh, experience and and truly a privilege to be a part of of this growing movement. 
it's such an organic story there. The growth that comes, one thing happens, you notice something, you and others go to a next step. And Chris, as I'm listening, I hear the story that it's both intimate as well as large. Let's start with the, the intimate part, because one of the things that you said was telling a story to get people to understand the importance of this and the impact of this and the relationship. Talk about that intimacy and some of those stories that have had the base of the people that are engaged in this. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, when, when I think about the, the, the intimacy within the project, um, I immediately think about the very early days when we were essentially working with, with people that were the exact same age as us and had grown up in dramatically different life situations. Uh, primarily when we started working, we were working with uh, former street children. So people uh, who had been abandoned by their parents or lost their parents in, in another way that were growing up on the street. And we worked with this center that was trying to like rehabilitate them. So first and foremost, being able to have that to connect with people that had had such a different life experience um, and realizing that we did have a lot in common and we could talk about, you know, books and, and TV shows and all sorts of different things that they, they shared with us. Um, and that was, you know, again, really the germ for wanting to spread that then to teachers or just to students so that students could connect with these artists in some way. Um, we used to lead teacher trips uh, or student trips rather down to Nicaragua where students literally got to meet these artists and get to know them. But obviously logistically, that's a little complicated. Um, so our goal has always been bringing these personal stories to the students. Um, we have written life stories from some of the early members of the project. We follow the day, a uh, day in the life of a, of a Nicaraguan student. Um, and really, these are just ways for, for students to have that intimate connection, um, to really feel like they know the artist. Um, and, and one of the things we have, for example, is an interactive artisan website that is sort of like a, a very stripped down social media site that shows this is where the artist lives. They answer a bunch of questions about their favorite colors, their you know day-to-day -day habits, and and we see these as really profound ways for students to break down a lot of the barriers that are put up um, when people think about people from other countries and especially economically impoverished countries. So that that intimate part of the project is it, it's the core of what we do. Everything um, now, the artists that we work with are primarily in, in Guatemala and um, we we have worked very diligently to develop a team that forms personal relationships with every single artist. Um, and that's so critical because if you're trying to make a positive change in someone's life, it's very difficult to do that if you don't understand the circumstances of their life. Uh, we talk a lot about how in the early days of the project, we had a lot of these preconceived notions about um, what charity meant and how we can help. And it didn't take very long for us to realize that we needed to chuck all those out the door and just sit down at the table and, and listen and talk and, you know, understand that these are, are equals. Um, 
And from that point, it's really just everything in the project is based off of these very personal relationships between students and the artists, between us and the artists, and um, and all the other volunteers that that make this project work. That insight into the equality of the experience is very powerful, and you've given us a taste of how that has specifically affected the project. You have on your website many, many interesting resources and videos and explanations, and there are three areas of the Pulsera project that you have shared in our preparation and also in what I see there, employment, education, and impact. Talk about those components and how they are woven together. And if you can keep in mind again that you just talked about a transformational attitude that changed everything. If you keep that in mind too, so people can see how that works within what Pulsera Project is doing in those three areas. Absolutely. So it for years, because of our our organization is very flexible. Um, it was we we don't con, we don't confine ourselves to just one area of development or one area of of helping people. So we we had to find a way to explain what it is that we really do um, in in a clear way. And those the los tres componentes we call them um, employment, education, and impact. So employment, uh, first and foremost, is, you know, it, it's the jobs that we provide for, for the artists uh, that make pulseras um, and bags as well. And that is the heart and soul of the project um, when it comes to alleviating economic poverty. Really, most people just need a, a decent job. And so we are, we're a fair trade organization. We make sure we pay artists uh, above and beyond what fair trade standards would stipulate and provide extra support um, in, in healthcare, scholarships. Um, we are essentially trying to create the same sort of social mobility that we have in the United States um, historically. And, and, and that's actually something in one of our videos, one of our Guatemalan partners talks about the, you know, the American dream. And, and this is truly an idea that is not confined to our country. Um, so that is a critical, you know, the first, the first component. The second one, education, is what happens in the United States. And that's my job, um, which really focuses on not just having these students learning about um, the importance of fair trade, learning Spanish, developing their language skills, which are very, very important to us. But as I alluded to earlier, breaking down some of these misconceptions and um, preconceived notions that people have about um, people from Central America, immigrants, um, people that are economically poor. And within that uh, framework, we sort of have four key values that we try to impress in every one of our lessons. Um, one is humility, because that's something that we learned uh, when you talk about the transformational aspects of the project. We went from being the you know, swaggering Westerners coming down with donated you know, shoes and soccer gear to completely changing our approach and approaching everyone that we talk to with a profound sense of humility, because that's really when you open up your, your heart and your mind to seeing the world from a different perspective. 
Another one is solidarity. So we are not a charity organization that is just helping one group of people. When people, when students do Pulsera sales, they're empowering someone economically, but they're learning. They're breaking down some of these barriers in their brain. And, and we think that that part of the mission is, is just as crucial. So we see all of our partnerships um, with schools, with artists, with organizations as equals. And that's something that is, um, I think, really important about what we do. Self-reflection is another core component of that. And that comes with recognizing that we all have, whether you're from Nicaragua or the United States, biases. You have, you know, cognitive shortcomings. And ideally, we want to get beyond that. We, we don't want to be restricted by sort of these, um, you know, these shortcomings that we have. So we really encourage people to be aware of their consumption habits, how that affects people in other parts of the world, um, the way that they see and treat people from different cultures. And then the final component that sort of is, is, is embedded in the rest of the project as well is thinking about poverty in different ways. Because we've learned um, that Central Americans, that a lot of these artists that we work with, even though they are economically quite impoverished, they have a richness of culture, of family values, of community that um, we actually often don't see as much in the United States as, as we maybe once did. So getting students to realize that, yes, we might be very affluent, but we might be poor in another sense, in, in, in the community sense. And these, these aspects, finances, money, having, having a, a roof over your head and being able to pay the bills, that is crucial. But it is equally crucial to have a community, to have a sense of belonging and family. And so that is um, also a really crucial part of, of the educational mission. And then finally, with impact, um, that's, you know, we are, we are a nonprofit organization. So after we've covered our basic operational expenses, we usually end up with, um, in pre-pandemic years, between $100,000, $300,000 that we can then reinvest in communities in Central America. So these can be in the communities where the artists are uh, or with different organizations. And we have a lot of flexibility. Uh, as I mentioned before, we don't constrain ourselves to feeding people or providing um, housing or healthcare, even though we, we do some of these things. We look for organizations that are already doing amazing work, but maybe don't have the resources that they need financially. And then we vet them, we provide uh, constant feedback on how they might improve, and then we essentially give them grants, um, which is, in the developing world, so crucial. So many nonprofits devote so much resources to just trying to find sources of money. And what we do is try to cut that out so they can focus on doing what they do well, um, whether that's advocating for workers' rights, advocating for women's rights, um, justice, uh, free speech, uh, legal services we provide as well. So it's truly um, a vast component of the project, but the idea as is expressed in, in how we describe it is to have an impact, to have a sustainable positive impact on a community. So those that's the, the project in a nutshell.
And uh, a beautifully expressed one too, Chris. It's interesting that you are using words and have, together with your team and your experiences, considered the language that you use, even before you describe the fact that uh, there are there is, is such a thing as economic poverty, but there are other kinds of poverty. I noticed earlier in your conversation, you were very careful when you said the word poor, you added the adjective economically poor. Uh, that kind of careful observation and expression to others is part and parcel of the education aspect of it. Talk a little bit more in depth about what it is that the Pulsera Project has developed and is continuing to develop with regard to the educational piece and bringing that kind of those kind of insights and I'm sorry linguistic accuracy so that students and teachers are using the the language of justice and uh, cultural understanding. Yeah, so we have been always um, very particular in how we explain our organization, what we do. Um, and that is partially because we have we come from a country that has this enormous reserve of goodwill. People in the United States do more volunteer work than in any other country. Um, and unfortunately, uh, a lot of those efforts end up not working out maybe the best for the people they're trying to help. Um, and I say that not from this high post because I am one of the people that 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 has made these mistakes um, that we've seen other organizations make. We have basically, through trial and error, um, wandering out. Uh, we always talk about how the Pulsera Project is an adventure, and we have made our fair share of missteps along the way. Uh, we still do and will, and and that's an important part of self reflection too. Is not holding yourself to this high per perfect standard, but always just trying to improve. Um, and that's one of our main mottos in, in, in Spanish is siempre adelante, so, because we're always trying to move forward. So when we are intentional and specific about discussing poverty, for example, and thinking about poverty in different ways, these are lessons that we ourselves learned sort of the hard way. And we're trying to make it so that others don't have to go through that whole um, process that we did, basically, um, and can can take something tangible uh, that will hopefully influence, you know, if they, if they go on a service trip in the future, or if they think about donating to another organization or providing a different form of service um, that, you know, we're, we're basically sharing our mistakes um, as, as humbly as we possibly can. And one of those mistakes has been, um, and, and something that's, present in sort of a lot of the U.S. service culture is, are these ideas that reinforce hierarchy, um, charity. Uh, it's one of our favorite quotes by Eduardo Galeano that, uh, you know, charity is, is vertical. It's this idea that there's somebody on top and they're helping somebody in the bottom. And that reduces both sides because you obviously see the person that's the recipient as, as a lesser than, and the person that's giving is greater than. And we, all understand that, you know, our economic circumstances are purely chance. We don't get to choose where we're born. Um, and 
because someone is dealing with economic poverty or a different type of poverty, we should not look down on them, um, but as equals, because we can learn so much more. And that's probably the lesson that we we learned in, you know, I wouldn't say the hardest way because we were blessed to to meet a lot of really incredible people that sort of showed us the light. But that's so important for us is that we do not um, we do not see or seek hierarchy. We want things to be even, open, um, to have people have these open and honest conversations without some sort of, uh, you know, imposed restrictions on anything. Thank you. What story or stories might you tell about transformations that you've seen in the lives of students or teachers with regard to the project in general and some of these concepts of humility, solidarity, reflection? Yeah, so we have, as I've mentioned, you know, we've had this the great thing about coordinating all these Pulsera sales is we meet teachers and we meet thousands of teachers. We've worked with hundreds, if not thousands of teachers at this point. And with all of them, it's, it's very interesting. Some people treat our organization as this fun service project that they do every year. They get the box, they sell for two weeks. Maybe they don't use our educational materials, but it's something that the students really like. Um, but they're also the ones that, that see it and maybe they have also been down the same path that we have where they went on a service trip abroad and started realizing how uh, unsustainable I, I think is, is a fair word to use. Like some of those practices are if a community is dependent on, you know, regular donations from a U.S. benefactor, that's that system of dependency is not great. Um, so it's really been teachers that have helped us clarify and sort of distill what we've learned into lessons. Um, and so I'm trying to think of a, of a, of a specific story. A great example would be uh, Hannah Joseph, who's a, a wonderful teacher and an educational consultant for us in Alabama. And she started working with the project, um, you know, sort of, piecemeal discovered discovered us. I don't think it was until the second or third year that she started really using our materials. But what's great about our organization is most schools that do one Pulsera sale, they'll do another one and then they'll do another one. And it might be every year, it might be every two or three or four years, but teachers have this tendency to, over time, it sort of sinks in more and they realize, oh, like I can actually do a lot with my with my students with these resources. Um, you know, so many teachers are, we recognize teachers are super busy and maybe the first year, all they have the time for is organizing and running the sale. But we have been very intentional about creating lessons that tie into actual standards, that tie into um, what teachers have to teach anyway. So we have this nice sort of uh, synergy between what we are putting out there and what teachers need. Um, and so Hannah, um, who has been creating amazing digital resources throughout the pandemic, she really helped. 
she finally got to go down to Guatemala with us this summer. And it was just every time we bring teachers down to Central America, seeing the connections and just the, you know, it doesn't become an abstract thing anymore. It's the, this is the artist. You know about this artist. You've you've taught about them, um, and you get to you get to sit down and actually and actually meet them. And, and it can be, um, we've heard from many teachers that have traveled with us that it's you know one of the the most impactful experiences in their life. Um, we actually just just finished uh, filled out our teacher trip for this coming summer, and we had no less than five teachers that had traveled with us before that were hoping to do it again. Um, which, you know, to me, that's the best testament that we, that we are doing something um, important because it really does have this huge impact for teachers. Um, and they then get to, to spread that to their students year after year. And that's sort of the, another really amazing thing about our organization is it has the capacity to, to expand and connect out, um, to connect so many more people together. Uh, we use the metaphor because it's apt with pulseras, they're all woven. And we see, you know, each one of us is sort of like a single string in this massive tapestry uh, that, we're, that we're jointly creating together. And that um, to me is just, I think it makes the project unique and, and it also makes the work just incredible. When you are speaking about reaching out, providing resources to teachers to reach out and touch and motivate and engage students, what are some of the ways that you have already found work and do you, what kind of plans do you have for growth in the area of educational resources and approaches? Yeah, so as I mentioned before, you know, this when we started, it was a service project first and foremost. Um, Colin, my, another, one of the other co-founders, he was in a service fraternity and that sort of created a natural connection to work with more service fraternities at other schools. Um, but as time went on, the, you know, Spanish clubs and classes started being more and more, uh, a part of sort of the DNA of the project. And we really just recognized that it, it makes a huge difference to, to really have, have some sort of connection. Um, so we have been trying to reach out and partner with language organizations. Um, we, we go to conferences, all of the, the regional conferences, um, because that, that, that truly is for us the best way to be able to explain to people face-to-face what we're, we're all about. And one of the initiatives that we started just before COVID, and I'm very pleased to say we've restarted is we send teachers to represent us at state conferences. So we are three employees in the United States um, and we have to ship all of the boxes, handle all of the email communication and everything else. And that is a lot of work. Um, So we don't have enough time to necessarily go. And a lot of these state conferences actually happen on the same weekends. So because we've worked with so many great teachers, we'll reach out and say, hey, we would be truly honored if you would represent us at this conference. We will pay for you to go. You can get some professional development and networking. And again, that's just another of those like small win-win components of the project where everyone benefits. The teacher gets professional development. They get to learn about best practices. 
they are better salespeople than we are because they've actually done it in their classroom. They can explain how it's gone. And, um, and, and we're also trying to forge new partnerships. Uh, we signed a uh, memorandum of understanding with AATSP, uh, the American Association of Teachers of Spanish and Portuguese, which is the largest Spanish language organization in the country. Um, and there are various umbrella organizations, Spanish Honor Society, um, Sociedad Honoraria de Amistad, which is the elementary and middle school version, and the National Spanish Exam as well. And with each of those, we are contributing financially as well as receiving things in return uh, to advocate for Spanish language acquisition. Um, and then the last thing is we we really do seek to, to be on the, the leading edge of where education is going. We want the early adopters, the teachers that are really, you know, ready to take take education into the next, you know, year into 2023 or 2024. So we recently uh, started making 360 VR videos that are super immersive. Um, whether you have a VR headset or just navigate with your keyboard, it is you students have so much more control. It's so much more engaging. And that's something that we are really committed to is to the extent that we can bringing Central America into classrooms in the US. Um, and that could be those, the, those 360 tours, the, the videos that we make. Um, but we have just this last semester, I think I made something like 15 new uh, educational videos. And then we have teacher partners like Hannah that I mentioned who then use their expertise to create lessons based off those videos. And it's just, again, a, a very virtuous cycle of having really great content that's contemporary and based on the people we're working with. And that gets developed by some of the best educators in the country uh, into really great resources that we share for free for everyone. And it that all of our resources are, uh, they're not paywalled. Anyone can can use them, whether they do a Pulsera sale or not, because in our view, we're advancing our mission. Um, even if people are just just using those materials by providing more education. So if folks were to go to your website, pulseraproject.org, they would learn about not only the organization, but how to get engaged if they weren't currently engaged with it? Absolutely. And we make it so, again, understanding teachers are busy. Um, and it's that that's always at the forefront of our mind when we think about how we manage our program. So there's a simple two-page sales guide uh, that explains sort of the ins and outs of how it works, how the box arrives. Um, we make it so that there's absolutely no cost to do a Pulsera sale. We provide, we pay for the shipping, we include a shipping label. So when the sale is done, teachers can send everything back. And basically the way it works is you fill out a, a brief form. We send a box about a week before your sale starts. Uh, you sign up for like a two week period. So you end up having the box for, for three weeks. And then on the end, we give some extra time as well to pack everything up, to track down any missing Pulseras. And schools are not obligated to sell a certain number of Pulseras. They sell what they can. And we are very dedicated to working with schools of all socioeconomic levels. Um, we recognize that not every school 
maybe has the the economy, uh, the student economy to, to sell 500 bracelets, but we are just as dedicated to working with those schools um, who uh, can, can, can benefit the project just as much and themselves. And, uh, and then at the end of the sale, everything that isn't sold, you just pack it up in the box, tape it up, put that prepaid shipping label I talked about on and send everything back to us. And, and then we handle sorting through all the pulseras and, and invoicing and all the other boring stuff. Um, so that really it's a, it's a small investment for teachers. And one of the other really cool things, um, you know, I didn't mention earlier about stories is it's incredible hearing teachers talk about how these sales foster student leadership. Um, so they will create their own videos. They will do, uh, you know, morning announcements. They'll have older students present to the younger students, sometimes in Spanish. And again, it's, it's a way to really foster student leadership, student initiative, and, and make the Spanish program more visible as well. Um, in schools, which I, I think is obviously I have a predisposition towards language learning um, and and the importance of it. Uh, but that's something we're always trying to push as well. Have you heard a story of a young person who was a student and experienced the Pulsera project in school? And then when they graduated, have become involved either through being an educator or in some other way that Pulsera project experience uh, help them to understand the world in a different way? Absolutely. I, I could probably fill a whole 45 minute podcast just talking about, um, you know, all of the, the incredible people that have, you know, used, maybe been inspired by the project indirectly or directly and gone on to do great things. Um, but one of the, the coolest things and also something that makes me feel a little bit aged sometimes is when I will hear from a teacher who said, oh, I love this organization so much. You know, I'm a, I'm a third year teacher. And I remember doing Pulsera sales when I was in middle school. And, and to see sort of like, you know, it, 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 it pass on and people, you know, 10, 15 years later will still think about the project, want to do a sale. Um, to us, that that that's the best part that the you know the project can can touch lives and 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 move have people continue to um, to have that like positive impact. So, yeah, that's huge. That's huge. How many pulseras have you sold over these years? So we have sold over a million pulseras. Um, and by when I say we, I want to rephrase that students and teacher volunteers across the country have sold a million pulseras. Um, I sold quite a few at, in, in my own time at College of Charleston, but uh, it's really, you know, networking and, and, and sort of passing this work out. It's a, it's, it's a unique project because we hand the box off, the students and, and teachers sell the pulseras, and it creates this tremendous opportunity in Central America. So right before the pandemic, we passed the million Pulsera mark. Um, the pandemic was just as it was with everything else, super disruptive. And uh, we had to kind of shut down for a bit. But now um, I'm very happy to say that we are back to purchasing close to 200,000 Pulsera's a year. 
We're employing more artists uh, than we ever have before. We have over 200 artists that are employed by the Pulsera project, um, full-time or part-time. And yeah, we, we hope to, to cross the 2 million mark in the next few years. Um, the goal is always just is creating more jobs and opportunities, especially in these communities where there might not be as many opportunities. Sounds like such, well, it is a worthy goal. You yourself are wearing a pulsera. From whom is, is that? What do you know of the artist of that or someone related to the area in which that pulsera came from? So I have, I actually have three pulseras on right now. Um, I could talk about each of them for a while. But I'll just talk about this one that I'm wearing um, that was given to me actually by uh, Ita, who is a, uh, an amazing, uh, I don't even know, she's a dyna, she's a force of nature, uh, an indigenous woman in rural Guatemala who started a, uh, a feminist radio station. And they do a lot of really important and great work advocating for rights of women and girls. And we had partnered with them previously just to help their radio out, um, but decided we would start working and having them and the the girls that they work with make pulseras to help them pay for their studies and other things. And uh, this past summer, we were down there, um, and and Ita personally personally gave this to me, which was very very touching and um, and meaningful because she's a a wonderful friend and person that. Um, truly inspires me. And I think that's like, you know, and it's the same thing. I can say the same thing about the people that made these other two, two bracelets is that they are truly inspirational people. Um, and, you know, to, to walk around with a piece of, of the art that they've created, um, you know, and they're great apart from being artists, obviously, but it's just a reminder of the, that connection, you know, um, and that that that's something that I keep going back to is, is how important it is to to really connect with with people and and know the artists. Um, before the pandemic, we knew every single artist. I I, I knew the our Central American team obviously knows everyone, um, but that that it's it's such a it's such an important part. Um, is just is getting to know them and and forging these relationships. And I've. I had the privilege of meeting Ita a few times before. So every time I see her, we get to, uh, you know, catch up. And and she's also one of the main voices in our sort of main video, Color of the World, that sort of explains how the project works. So you don't have to take my word for it. You can, you can watch her and see just how incredibly art articulate, intelligent, brilliant this, um, this woman who you know, has had to fight her whole life for the education and skill set that she has and is really making a huge difference in her corner of, of the world. That's fantastic. What a great story. And that Color the World video, definitely watch after our conversation and encourage those that are listening to do so as well. Chris, you are at the time of the recording of this podcast, expecting your first child. What do you want your child to know above and beyond all based on what it is that you're doing that has been reflected in the Pulsera project? Wow, that is a uh, 
good and and heavy question, um, but I, I have an instant answer. Um, one of the amazing things, and I've talked about this before, is that the project has opened up is the opportunity to work with people, not just from different cultures, but from different um, different generations, different, totally different worldviews. And I feel like there's um, maybe maybe more so, maybe that's just my own particular perspective, but sort of less intergenerational um, working together and collaboration and and developing friendships, not just a professional working relationship, but I have, you know, very close best friends that are a generation older than me that are, you know, speaking Spanish as a second language because their their native language is Quiche. And, you know, we're both sort of communicating in our second language. Um, and and so for my my child, the the thing that I think is, is most important is just to understand that every single person is is valuable has valuable insights to share and that you cannot write a, a, a group, a person, a, a country, a culture off just because of, for any reason really. Um, and that that personal connections and, and going out into the world and forging those connections is really what this grand adventure that we call life is about. Um, Powerful, thank you. One last opportunity here, Chris, what is it that you feel like you would like to make sure you say before we end today that's a final exhortation for the listeners, invitation, reminder, something that you want to make sure that you say to the folks that are listening before we finish today? I would encourage and and you know be grateful to anyone who, who goes on our website Um uses our resources. If they want to host a sale, please get in touch. We are very dedicated to making the experience enriching, not just for the students, but for the teachers as well. So we have, we go out above and beyond in any way we can to, to help explain the materials. Uh, we also offer video calls with myself, uh, one of the other co-founders, and our social impact coordinator in Central America, um, which again are just great ways to to have a more personal connection. And um, and yeah, I, I, I encourage people to to check out our website, see if it's something they think that their students might be interested in. Show show them one of our videos that sort of explains what the project is. And what we've learned is that usually the students just get so excited about it that it it kind of takes on a life of its own. Um, consistently, one of the things we hear is just how, you know, obviously easy it is on our end, but then how easy the students make it on the teacher's end because they get to delegate these responsibilities for keeping track of sales and all these things where um, you can really get the entire class or the entire uh, Spanish Honor Society or club involved in. Listening to the work that you do after having covered expenses, if you turn to businesses and organizations that may be listening to this podcast, what might you invite them to do with regard to the Pulsera project? Um, I mean, we are always seeking, especially now, new partnerships and or, and, and ways that we can work with like-minded uh, groups, businesses, they don't have to be nonprofits at all. Um, we're 
fortunate to be uh, entering into a collaboration with Vista Higher Learning. And, and that is great for us because we get to, uh, you know, advance our mission and, and reach a larger audience. Um, and really we are finally, and now that we're sort of in a post COVID uh, state of mind, sort of, um, looking towards the future with, with optimism and with a sense of a dawn breaking. Um, and that is a, a welcome change after, you know, almost three years of, of very difficult circumstances, but the, the opportunities are limitless and, and we have, um, we and I have very big dreams for what the Pulsera project could be, um, and are open to any and all opportunities to, to partner with like-minded organizations, people that just want to make the world a better place. Cause that's really what it comes down to. Chris Howell, thank you so much for talking about the Pulsera Project and that which has made it the powerful experience and opportunity that it has been for so many around the Americas. Thanks again for being our guest today. Thank you so much, Nora, for having me on here. I really appreciate the opportunity and, um, and to all the listeners, thank you, thank you for listening uh, a little bit about our organization. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. As an educator, you have the power to reimagine and reshape education and thus the world. Vista Higher Learning is committed to giving you the best programs, resources, information, and support to ensure that your students succeed in school and in life. We are committed to being your partner in education. Bring VISTA along for your education journey. For more information about VISTA solutions for your K-12 classroom, visit vistahigherlearning.com.